Christina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34th. And when you say the, the Western countries will bear some responsibility, in what sense do they bear responsibility? I mean, clearly, there's been an effort by the United States and Europe ever since the collapse of the Soviet Union to pull the former Soviet states into their economic sphere. But is that the way you're talking about it? I mean that. I mean that Moscow—look at it through Moscow's eyes. Since the Clinton administration in the 1990s, the U.S.-led West has been on a steady march toward post-Soviet Russia, began with the expansion of NATO in the 1990s under Clinton. Bush then further expanded NATO all the way to Russia's borders. Then came the funding of what are euphemistically called NGOs, but they are political action groups funded by the West, operating inside Russia. Then came the decision to build missile defense installations along Russia's borders, allegedly against Iran a country which has neither nuclear weapons nor any missiles to deliver them with. Then comes American military outpost in the former Soviet Republic of Georgia, which led to the War of 208. And now the West is at the gates of Ukraine. So that's the picture, as Moscow sees it. And it's rational, it's reasonable, it's hard to deny. But as for the immediate crisis, let's ask ourselves this. Who precipitated this crisis? Uh, the American media says it was Putin and the very bad, though democratically elected, president of Ukraine, Yanukovych. But it was the European Union, backed by Washington, that said in November to the democratically elected president of a profoundly divided country, Ukraine, you must choose between Europe and Russia. That was an ultimatum to Yanukovych. Remember, wasn't reported here, at that moment, what did the much despised Putin say? He said, why? Why does Ukraine have to choose? We are prepared to help Ukraine avoid economic collapse along with you, the West. Let's make it a tripartite package to Ukraine. And it was rejected in Washington and in Brussels. That precipitated the protests in the streets. And since then, the dynamic that any of us who have ever witnessed these kinds of struggles in the streets unfolded as extremists have taken control of the movement from the so-called moderate Ukrainian leaders. I mean, the, the moderate Ukrainian leaders with whom the Western foreign ministers are traveling to Korea, Kiev to talk, and they've lost control of the situation. Silent. I want to go to the famous uh, leak tape right now. The top State Department official has apologized to her European counterparts after she was caught cursing the European Union, the EU, in a leaked audio recording that was posted to YouTube. The recording captured an intercepted phone conversation between the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Jeffrey Payat, and Victoria Nuland, the top U.S. diplomat for Europe. Nuland expresses frustration over Europe's response to the political crisis in Ukraine using frank terms. So that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the U.N. help glue it and, you know, the EU. While Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Nuland's comment about the EU dominated the news headlines uh, because she used a curse, there were several other very interesting parts of her conversation with the U U.S. Uh, ambassador to Ukraine. Let me work on Klitschko, and if you can just keep—I I think we want to try to get somebody with an international personality to um, come out here and help to midwife this thing. And then the other—the other issue is some kind of outreach to Yanukovych, but we probably regroup on that tomorrow as we see how things start to fall into place. 
So on that piece, Jeff, uh, when I wrote the note, uh, Sullivan's come back to me uh, VFR saying you need Biden, and I said probably tomorrow for an attaboy and to get the deeds to stick. So Biden's willing. That's the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Piat, uh, speaking with Victoria Newland. The significance of what she is saying. She also had gone to Ukraine and was feeding protesters on the front line. Cookies, cookies. Well, here we again. Here again. The American political media establishment, including the right and the left and the center, because they're all complicit in this nonsense, focused on the too sensational, they thought, aspect of that leaked conversation. She said, F the European Union. And everybody said, oh my God, she said the word. The other thing was, who leaked it? Oh, it was the Russians. Those dirty Russians leaked this conversation. But the significance is what you just played. What are they doing? The highest-ranking State Department official, who presumably represents the Obama administration, and the American ambassador in Kiev are, to put it in blunt terms, plotting a coup d'etat against the elected president of Ukraine. Now, that said, Amy, Juan, you may say to me, neither of you would, but hypothetically, that's a good thing. We don't like this. We don't care if he was elected democratically. He's a rat. He's corrupt. And he is all those things. He is. Let's depose him. That's what the United States should do. Then the United States should stand up and say, that's what we do. We get rid of bad guys. We assassinate them and we overthrow them. But in Washington and Brussels, they lie. They're talking about democracy now. They're not talking about democracy now. They're talking about a coup now. Desiree Berg, and this week we're speaking with Alex Rubenstein, who is an investigative journalist. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me, Tina. Absolutely. I wanted to invite you on to talk about your latest piece in Substack about woke imperialism. I thought it was really an interesting take about how both sides use identity politics to mask imperialism and a whole host of other ills uh, globally. So walk us through um, what exactly woke imperialism is in the first place. Yeah, so I mean, I kind of start my article by um, talking about uh, this doctrine of responsibility to protect and uh, what's also often called humanitarian uh, intervention. Um, and I talk about woke imperialism as like kind of a maturation of those concepts um, where, uh, you know, there was that human rights angle uh, in American foreign policy and American intervention for, uh, you know, throughout. I, I think it would it really traces back much farther than my article goes, but you know Clinton used it and yeah. uh, George W. Bush used it. I mean, if you remember the uh, intub incubator babies, not intubator. I'm getting those words mixed lately. Um, but uh, with um, you know George Bush and 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 then Obama and even in the Trump years we saw it a lot. But now that Biden is president, um, we're seeing this kind of. Uh, intensification of of that and it's uh using a lot of the language of um wokeness and identity politics uh to justify itself and it's it's really being ramped up into into like hyperdrive you know um yeah. and i think that it's gonna be continued as like the world changes in the biden years mm -hmm. um it's gonna continue to be used more and more so i you know start the article by you know talking about how um, right off the bat, all these um, institutions of imperialism, whether it's like finance, the IMF and the World Bank or right. uh, NATO or the CIA or the State Department 
or the White House itself. Um, they're all, you, you know, making these appeals to wokeness. Um, and I then I go back and kind of like, um, I, first I just take a needle through, through all that, you know, um, especially with the State Department. Um, yeah. And then I go back and kind of like talk about how this has already been used a little bit and uh, what's going on like in this moment in that in in those terms yeah you know it seems to me that these folks they're pretending to be woke because if they were actually woke they wouldn't be using identity politics to cover for the same really horrible policies that both parties have adhered to for decades now so when you talk about humanitarian intervention they use these words saying that we're the good guys doing the right thing but really they're just going into other countries and forcing regime chase uh, change and in many cases they're replacing left-wing elected governments with right-wing dictators. That's not a crazy statement. So they're saying we're woke because we have a, a diversity of as far as creeds and races within our ranks now, but there's no diversity in thought. And that, I think, is the real issue here. And I yeah. think too many people uh, in, in the liberal area tend to believe that groups are monolithic in their beliefs and that the, the groups uh, adhere to what they believe. And it's really problematic and in some ways can be racist. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, recently NATO put out this uh, video um, where they tweeted diversity is our strength. And it's a very flashy video. I would encourage everyone to click yeah. on it when if they open my article. Um, but, you know, you look at like what NATO has been doing in the past, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years and um it's championing anything but like wokeness right um right. you have you have all these nato states that hold like regular uh annual marches commemorating nazi collaborators yeah. Yeah. um you have nato which you know worked very closely uh with um you know uh neo-nazi militias in the ukraine yeah um and and you know i can't really think of a bigger anathema to um you know, inclusivity and diversity than like Nazism, right? Like that's right. like the total opposite. And then you, you know, NATO ally Turkey has been, you know, funding uh, jihadist militias in Syria and uh, more recently Libya and even more recently Azerbaijan, which, you know, really uh, have, you know, tried to exterminate ethnic minority, ethnic yeah. and religious minorities. And then, you know, if you go back to, you know, the overthrow of the Libyan government and where NATO gave, you know, air cover for uh, jihadist proxies to uh, pull Muammar Gaddafi out of his car and sodomize him to death with a bayonet, that paved the way for the reintroduction of yeah. slavery on the African continent. There's a slave trade in Libya. People need to know that. That is absolutely proven true. And it's, and it's 100% because of the actions of NATO. Right. Um, I mean, that that really can't be emphasized enough. And so when you talk about like opportunity initiatives for people of color that NATO has brought, like that's what we're talking about is like slavery. Um, so it's really sick and, and hypocritical, um, but it's not just NATO. It's the it's it's the CIA and the State Department are making these same overtures. Absolutely. Let's in fact, let's talk about the Ukraine and NATO for a minute, because I think that's a prime example of what you're talking about. Uh, Ukraine has a Nazi problem. Ukraine definitely has a neo-Nazi problem right now. That That's growing from what I can tell. 
And you even see um, groups that are holding up Nazi swastika flags on one hand and then NATO flags on the other. But I don't see any action from NATO to address that or do anything about that. And in fact, didn't Biden actually uh, meet with one of the Ukrainian neo-Nazi leaders? Uh, Olin, I think was his name. Ola Tanyabok, yes, yeah. he did meet with him because Biden was really the um, top official managing the the coup in Ukraine. Um, he went there like fourteen times or something like that. I, I, I forget the exact number, but it's it's upwards of ten. Um, and uh, yeah, he met with Ola Tanyabok, who is the leader of two neo-Nazi uh, political organizations. One is literally called the Social Nationalist Party, mm-hmm. which probably sounds familiar to people because it sounds exactly like the national socialist party that's right um <laughs> and yeah actually you know um uh the uh speaker of the house i don't know if he's still speaker of the house in ukraine but uh for, for a very long time after the coup he was mm-hmm. a guy by the name of andre perubi um was uh invited over by you know one of biden's top top guys to the united states to like you know talk about ukraine and stuff and um you know, the only the only person who challenged the fact that he was like a neo-Nazi was Max Blumenthal. Um, fortunately, he did because now it's on the record. But um, it's it's a problem that's been overlooked. And I mean, you even have Israel giving like weapons to neo-Nazi militias who are like, you know, going after Jews and Romani people. Yeah, it's that's really just wild. Hard. Yeah. And it's really under discussed and that's unfortunate. But it's justified because, you know, um, because it's being used to, uh, you know, confront Russia. And so it's okay. Um, right. And, 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 you know, I was, I was in Charlottesville. Um, I was about like five to 10 feet away from the car attack. I saw it all happen. My when camera was rolling. Was but I, right. And yeah. I, and I caught and, and you know, I, I think that we need to talk about more than just Heather Heyer because like a lot of people were like permanently handicapped because of that. It was, it was really nasty. Um, it wasn't just one person killed. It was, a lot of people had their lives changed uh, dramatically. Um, but but Joe Biden, after this history of um, you know working with neo Nazis in Ukraine and, and supporting them through U.S. policy, uh, he announced his campaign by railing against neo Nazis in Charlottesville. Um, so that was like that was like the first taste of like how it was going to be with him. That like just total hypocrisy and right. um, you know ap- appeals to wokeness uh, and just like covering up uh all this nasty shit that he's done in the past and will continue to do and i and i think that the nasty shit that we'll see in the future will be um whitewashed with with wokeness so i think i think we have to look at also biden's appointment to secretary of state to really get into where foreign policy has gone under biden which is nowhere different than what it's been under trump tony blinken is a lobbyist he's a pr consultant his uh, West Exec is the firm that he co-founded. Their tagline was bringing the boardroom into the situation room, which is a clear indication of the military industrial complex. So there's obviously corporate money involved here. Video I've just often- out. His video just went out. Your video just went out? Yeah, let me talk to just- Yeah, I hit, I hit my- um, Oh, USB okay. With my- with That's my, all right. Um, um, we're good? Okay, because I'm going to, I can ramble on for a minute. Um, so, you know, he brags about bringing the boardroom into the situation room. So I think this is a clear example of the military industrial complex and American business interests driving foreign policy. Often people, you know, 
they hear this argument about human intervention, right, humanitarian intervention that you spoke about earlier. But really what's going on here is the CIA, State Department, et cetera, they're all looking to further their uh, business interests abroad. It's really about that. It's not about helping poor people. It's never been about helping poor people. Uh, you know, the state of Israel, the support for that has got nothing to do with love of the Jewish people. It's geopolitical entirely. So, um, you know, that's just what it is. So what are your thoughts on Tony Blinken? And do you think he's going to make matters worse or about the same as things were under Trump? Well, I think it's actually going to be a little bit worse. Um, really? Okay. To, yeah. I mean, uh, if you if you look at like all the worst decisions of the Trump administration, they're, they're keeping them. Um, and all of the best decisions of the Trump administration, for example, like withdrawing U.S. forces from Afghanistan, they're reversing. Um, so, you know, much like Trump uh, left the Iran nuclear deal, uh, you know, Tony Blinken and, and Joe Biden are uh, leaving the uh, deal that was reached with the Taliban to have U.S. forces withdrawn. Um, and, you know, Why? Uh, let me ask you this, Alex, why would they do that? Because you're right. Um, right now, the troop withdrawal deadline is looming and it looks to me like they're going to keep the forces there. What benefit? Afghanistan is a, a failed regime change war that's gone on for a decade, more than a decade. Why would they choose to stay there, do you think? Well, well, the regime change has failed, but um, it, it's given us uh, certain opportunities um, that uh, are worth maintaining or i shouldn't say us but it's given the united states the u.s yeah. um those opportunities um it's you know geo you know geopolitically important it's it's you know in an area where they're able to use it to uh spy on russia to spy on iran um there's all kinds of natural resources and there's poppy fields uh right. which is an under discussed topic yeah. um but uh you know if you remember pete Buttigieg, he had like that mineral map like why would anyone be interested in the minerals there it's of course because they want to take them um so you know it's it's not the goal is to like you know even under the under the trump administration there were a lot of people who who are respectable voices in foreign policy who were saying these negotiations are a means of prolonging the occupation in order to make it drag out and make it look like we're doing something while we're just you know gonna stay there um and you know don't forget that it's like you know a uh, a laboratory for you know the military industrial complex to like test new technology uh if you remember trump dropped the uh, mother of all bombs um so you know it, right. it has that uh that benefit as well but um to go back to you know tony blinken he's been um the biggest champion, at least the most vocal champion of this like idea that diversity is our strength in the uh, you know ruling class in the military industrial complex. Um, he has countless statements to that effect. Uh, Max Blumenthal actually pointed out after I published my article that in the same speech where he uh, was touting the US's commitment to uh, racial justice, he was saying that um, he hopes that the International Criminal Court drops its probes of Israeli war crimes on Gaza. That's right. So, I mean, that's just like a, a clear example of like how how hypocritical these people are willing to get. Mm -hmm. um, but Tony Blinken, uh, actually political, had an article that came out um, after mine, but reported much of this of the same things where, you know, they said that, you know, the State Department has a 200 and something year old problem. It's entrenched whiteness. Um, 
and uh so so basically what blinken has done is he's um uh he's created uh a chief diversity officer or or something to that effect yeah. who reports directly to him and it's funny because ned price who's the who's an openly gay man you know and and promoted as such um and the uh the spokesperson for the state department he's um announcing this measure by tony blinken and then he says the same thing diversity is our strength it's like it's like you, i don't know if you your viewers saw that video where um it was all those sinclair news anchors where they were talking about uh you know this is really dangerous for democracy but you could do the same thing with the diversity is our strength right. talking point yeah. it's 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 insane um and and so you know but and it's not just it's not just the state department either kamala harris yeah. joe biden uh nato said that the pentagon has said that um it, it, I'd, I'd really like to get get over to the pentagon at some point because um some of the stuff that's come from them recently is really absurd but you know one thing that the air force said recently was diversity is a force multiplier and so there was this whole blowout over tucker carlson he did like a segment on the woke military and he was kind of right in a lot of the things that he identified but also like wrong about them at yeah, the same time <laughs> my view on tucker is he's a garbage human being but like broken clocks are right twice a day every now and then yeah. he says something you're like he's right <laughs> Yeah, and it's unfortunate because like it takes the most like uh, rabid nativist on right. cable to news to, to tell yeah. the truth. Yeah, it's like <laughs> why isn't somebody? Yeah, I agree with you. It's like we don't want to hear from the nativist guy. He's a garbage human, but every now and then he says something that's on par. Um, yeah, I hear that. Yeah, and so and so you know he was saying you know these these diversity initiatives uh, make our military weaker, which. It's just not true. It's, it makes it stronger. Right. The Pentagon or the Air Force is exactly right that diversity is a force multiplier. It gives you like a, a exactly. bigger pool to recruit from. Um, That's and, Tucker's nativist side speaking. Right, right. But he he identifies the issue and then he has the wrong solution. You know what always, I mean? Always, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because he always goes to that racist, fascist solution. Like, it's amazing. Right. <clears throat> yeah, and 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 actually, uh, it was funny. I you know I I wrote that the Pentagon clapped back at him uh, because they did. They went directly at him um, for you know those the, that segment that he did. And uh, actually, in their headline, they said that they smited him, they which like you know. <laughs> How did I miss that one? They actually used the word smited. They wow. they said yeah, Pentagon Pentagon spokesperson <laughs> lay smites. off the Bible, Pentagon. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, in their press release, they're talking about how how uh, how uh, Lloyd Austin, who is the first Black Secretary of Defense, um, NPR, I think it was, uh, promoted him for breaking a brass ceiling. Um, but uh, they talk about how you know Lloyd Austin was just saying the other week that um, the quote unquote lived experience of a diverse fighting force informs decision making at the Pentagon. And it, it it just like it blew my mind to hear the Pentagon talking about lived experience. Mm -hmm. Um the same buzzword that's used by like actually the kind of you know zoomer id poll audience that they're gonna have to learn to figure out how to recruit from if they right. want to keep uh their force multipliers. Yeah. You know? 
That's true. But it's so, it, again, it's so wild to me that the assumption that all of these groups are monolithic in their beliefs, it sort of just undergirds the entire argument that they make. Because the minute they uh, acquiesce to the idea that these that these communities are not only, uh, that, that they don't think the same, but that a lot of these members of these communities actually don't agree with their foreign policy and have a problem with it. And then they never seem to consider about the end results in the countries that we invade or occupy or bomb. You know, oftentimes yeah. the folks that are harmed by this are people of color. It's um, it's remarkable that there's this. Yeah, I mean, standard. every every single time since like World War Two. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> George Carlin used to joke about how much America loved bombing brown people, you know. Yeah. And it's and true. We got mad at we got mad at Hitler because he was stealing our job, bombing brown people, you know. Right. Um, I don't know if he would be able to like make it in today's world, George yeah. Carlin. <laughs> I was a fan of George. Like he, he always was really um, on par with those truth bombs. I, I want to talk about Ukraine a little bit more in regards to this because I, I've been very much bothered by the neo-Nazi situation that we've been seeing for a while now, and the fact that there seems to be no discussion in it from the United States from leadership um, at all, let alone in the Democratic Party, right? Are they willing to turn an, a blind eye to that because it's all about Russia? Is that like really where we're at? Yeah, I mean, abs absolutely. I, I, there's no way to like butter that up. Yes, um, and and they're willing to turn a blind eye to a lot more than that mm. to get at Russia. You know, I mean, what is igniting this new Cold War again? This just seems so crazy to me that this is really where we're at. It's so McCarthyist in nature. I mean. Do I agree with everything Putin does? No, he can be a, an absolute trash dictator too. Like nobody's saying he's a good guy. But what's also not good is the never-ending amounts of McCarthyism and how Russia gets blamed or tagged or used to justify all kinds of other nefarious behaviors. Why? Well, why well, look, is that? I, 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 I don't really have an answer about why besides, you know, other, other than maintaining the empire and maintaining U.S. global dominance and financial dominance um but you know if you look at like alexei navalny who's like the favorite yeah. person you know in, in the west um in russia uh he, this is a guy who who doesn't poll higher than single digits in presidential right. elections um this is a guy who has compared muslims to cockroaches yeah he's terrible uh, attended like nazi type far-right fascist rally rallies yeah refuses to say that his politics has evolved since then. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, there was another thing where he said, like, you know, Muslims need to be, like, um, extracted by, like, a, a, like a dental procedure, you know, like, removed from society. So, I mean, and this is, like, the liberal hero, um, yeah. supposedly, uh, because, well, you know, the thing is, is, you know, people, you know, maybe I'll get in trouble for this, but, like, um, Putin isn't like really just besties with every oligarch in Russia. Right. Um, you know, he, he came to power um, after the Yeltsin years where the oligarchs basically ran the country like a mafia state. That's right. Um, and he took on the oligarchs. With help from the economists at Harvard University, I should add. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that, you know, that's that's why Putin is so popular is because he he regained he was able to regain Russia's sovereignty. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, 
I, I, I tend to think that on, on the world stage, Putin has presented himself quite well. You know, um, he's the biggest reason that Syria is in Libya right now. Um, and, uh, you know, there, I don't want to get too much into that, but uh, I, I think that there's a lot of misinformation around, around Putin and, oh, and Navalny. And, uh, it, you know, Navalny is not the opposition leader, uh, yeah. as he's said to be. He's like... No, you he's know, very problematic. But he's like here's less the popular is, than Pussy Riot, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is exactly, equally quacky. <laughs> but the problem is this: the media in the United States they don't discuss these things, and most of those folks that are saying Alex is their hero, these liberals, they have no idea about his associates or his racist past or his his uh, adjacentness to neo Nazis, etc. They just simply don't know about it. I think right. if more people were aware, they'd be appalled, right? So and, why and is he being held up? Well, I mean, there's inter uh, information that's come out uh, recently. Uh, Russia's, uh, I don't know if it was the FSB, I th maybe the FSB, uh, released like these like recordings that they had done uh, where Navalny's number two guy, like his right-hand man, was uh, basically begging British intelligence for money. Um, and so this is a guy who's in the pocket of the West. And that's, and that's really like part of the trend that, that we see with, uh, U.S. regime change and coup efforts is that like we just want like a friendly client state. It's like why we're uh, doing all this propaganda. Say that about... again. <laughs> we want a friendly client state that's uh, amenable that's to U.S. capitalist interests. Right. Um, and and like I said, Putin was able to regain some sovereignty for Russia. Uh, China China has that, and so okay. we're we're doing all this propaganda about Xinjiang right now. Um, but you know, it's really, uh, it's really an effort to stop the belt and road initiative. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't know this, this is actually something I found in independent research, but, um, the first CIA officer killed in the line of duty was stationed in Xinjiang to spy on the Soviet union. Um, and you know, the CIA was spying on, was, was stationed in Xinjiang before there was a CIA. It used to be called the office of something, something services, OSS or whatever, mm -hmm. um, but they were stationed in Xinjiang, and so right, like now we're as China uh, ramps up its economic power um, as a counter to the U.S., um, we're seeing, you know, more uh, more rallying around uh, Tibet and Xinjiang and Hong Kong, um, all places that have uh, been long-standing points of interest for for the Central Intelligence Agency and the State Department and and U.S. Uh, corporations. Right. Ah, it's very frustrating. Um, we talked about Afghanistan. I want to talk about uh, Venezuela for a moment. Sure. You were actually uh, in the embassy with the uh, embassy protectors. What was uh, what was that like, um, and how did <laughs> how did all of that play out? That that was like you know, one of the most incredible experiences of my life. I was in there for eighteen days. Um, yeah. in that building, um, and. Uh, 14 days of it, we were like totally under siege by like um, these uh, far right racist fascist, uh, according to the Washington Post, democ democracy supporters. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, that is so crazy to me. Like, it, it, people should understand at base that most of the folks that move to the United States from Central America, South America, Cuba are definitely of the fascist ilk. They were usually the beneficiaries of right-wing governments in, in their homelands. They were beneficiaries of US business interests. 
part of the aristocracy, perhaps, you know, in, in many cases. And that's why they're, they've come to the United States and they're talking about freedom, right? They were the losing side of any sort of revolution that did something to change the lives of poor people in these countries. So uh, people really need to understand that when they're talking to these folks about their worldview and why they think the way that they think. There's just, again, there's that idea that all people in this group think the same, and that's not true. In any group, there's going to be a, a you know expansion of thought. And in these particular communities, there were aristocrats who were fascists, you know, on the side of fascism. Well, shut down their grandparents' plantation, so right. know, they there you go. That. That's a prime example. My grandparents oh. had a plantation. We were quite wealthy. We were being financed by U.S. business interests. I lived well, but then the revolution happened and we lost the plantation, right? So then they yeah. come to the United States and they're like, yay, freedom, my freedom. You know, um, we've seen this so often, but it never gets discussed. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, this is uh, this is what uh, Yasha Levine, the journalist, calls the weaponized immigrant. And a great example of that is yeah. uh, uh what is it? Alexander Mayorkas, uh, the um, the first Latino head of the Department of Homeland Security, the agency, of course, responsible for uh, deportations and currently nice. responsible yeah. for the most kids in cages ever in U.S. history at this moment. Um, and and he's from Cuba, and his parents were like those, you know, right wing business owners. Um, <laughs> Just... And that's you know the weaponized immigrant is really a part of this. Uh, this woke imperialism narrative, because um, who, if you're playing the game of identity politics, then saying, well, look, he's a Latino um, and he wants, you know, to overthrow the Cuban regime or whatever. Um, he's the best person to make that argument from, from like right. the idea of like standpoint, right? Like That's where right. he's at and his lived experience. So That's right. The lived um, experience. That's right. Cause he'll say to you, yeah. I'm Cuban. What do you know? You American white person, you gringo. I'm Cuban. I'm telling you, <laughs> because again, it's that whole idea. The group is monolithic and they all agree with me and my standpoint. And you have nothing to say to that. It's very, uh, it is weaponized identity politics and, and weaponized Im immigrant. That's a great term for it. Cause that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and and that's always been kind of a part of the uh, U.S. imperial story, whether you know going back to the Soviet Union, yeah. um, and 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 actually just uh, two days ago, the U.S. appointed um, its first Asian American U.S. trade representative, um, a woman by the name of Catherine Tai, who's been like a like longtime China hawk, um, and mm. I found this like fantastic clip of her on C-SPAN where she's talking about how she grew up on American beef and is a happy consumer of American beef. And it's just, it's really bizarre. But... <laughs> I was trying to keep a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> but she's another example of the weaponized immigrant, you know, um, and, uh, you know, people were kind of celebrating that she's the first Asian American trade representative at a time when like anti-Asian, uh, hate is 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 high. is high and uh at the same time she's like constantly bashing china um so you know that i mean again it's just the total hypocrisy of it um you know and lack of regard it's so wild to me too alex because the right wing is doing this too like when you've been i've been at some of these trump rallies filming them and they have this weird fixation on the chinese communist party and the yeah. Chinese Communist Party is responsible for putting Biden into office and like a ho whole host of other weird things that they say. And you're just like. <laughs> like 
Yeah, right. Well, and yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's there's that meme about you know how how Democrats are always saying Russia, 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 and Republicans China, China, China. But you know what we're seeing um, with the Biden administration is actually they're they're screaming both Russia and China. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And you know what? I would say much as the Trump administration did, uh, you know, Trump was an incredibly hawkish president towards Russia. It's oh, really yeah. not talked about enough, you know, unprecedented uh, military drills on, on, you know, on their doorstep. Um, the uh, expelling of, of uh, a number of diplomats, Russian diplomats from, from U.S. consulates right. and, and, uh, and embassies, um, on, you know, t- tons of sanctions, hundreds and, you know, yeah. I don't I don't know how many sanctions, but there there's this great clip of uh, Mike Pompeo um, testifying before Congress, and they're like grilling him. The Democrats are like, "You're not doing enough to attack Russia," and he's like, "Wait, we've done more than anyone to attack Russia." Russia. And he cites all the things, and it's it's Mike Pompeo is a piece of work, I tell you. (laughs) I mean, he. I, I also remember when he called Cuba the real imperialist country in Venezuela. I'm like. Who yeah. says that with a straight face? That's insane. Really? Cuba's yeah. an imperialist country now? My God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what wars have they been involved in? Like, name name one. <laughs> We've had, what? how long have we had sanctions on Cuba? They're barely getting by, and, and they've managed to persevere regardless, um, which is amazing, really. But to call them the imperialist power in Venezuela is absolutely ridiculous but mike Pompeo well i mean they, say they'd say hezbollah's in venezuela well he said that too you know yeah, it's <laughs> like <laughs> i mean could you imagine no, what the hell that's right he did say that too yeah i don't that guy's a whack job <laughs> it, it, like everybody's in venezuela but the venezuelans right let's let's go back to talking about that so you were there at the embassy um, with those folks protecting it from these more or less fascists that were outside the u.s was supporting a regime change that of uh, somebody Guaido that was never elected. They called him the interim president, which is outrageous. Um, and they're saying they're doing this to support democracy in the country. Also outrageous. Uh, so what are your thoughts on all of that? And um, what was it like being in that, that embassy all those days? Well, it, you know, it was, it was a pretty incredible, you know, when I say that they did a siege on the embassy, I, like I, I'm not, I'm not kidding around. Um, they had a, 24-hour occupation for 14 days outside the embassy, preventing anyone from coming in or coming out, or any food or med- medicine from coming in or coming out. Um, so uh, it it was like a military-style siege, and I, uh, you know, a lot of the tactics that um, I've seen uh, since then um, in like Hong Kong, for example, uh, were were used there against us. Um, so you know, throughout the night, they'd have like um, flashlights that they'd put, you know, these really strong flashlights that they'd put through our windows, keep us awake. Um, I would wake up in the morning and I'd hear people going, Alex, Alex, do you want a cigarette? <laughs> it's like, That's it was really, uh, wow. or you want some McDonald's? Like, yo, yeah, I love McDonald's. Um, but, mm-hmm. and they were constantly breaking in. Um, and, uh, you know, the one, uh, dedicated mainstream media reporter that they had there, uh, a woman with the uh, Washington Post um, just regurgitated everything they said as fact. And then every time like Code Pink would say something, they would say, well, Code Pink says this, but 
you know. Ugh, um, so so it, it it was very much enabled uh, by by the Washington Post. Um, I I documented so many incidents uh, on video of them, you know, using racial slurs and anti-gay slurs. Um, and, and, you know, actually one of the ringleaders, a, a girl who uh, worked for um, Oracle uh, as a senior manager, uh, wound up um, leading a group called Latinos con Biden. Interestingly enough, um, but she was, you know, one of the most vicious attackers. Um, and, you know, and, and they really engaged in psychological warfare right. um, against us. Um, you know, uh, I, I can't stress that enough. Um, but, you know, these are the people that are, you know, are supposed to bring democracy, you know? <laughs> um, it's insane, but how can you say that you're for democracy when you're actually overturning a democratic election and installing somebody that you just simply prefer? Sitco Oil is, I would imagine, being one of the prime motivators for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, you know, Maybe the Maduro government has its problems. I'm, I'm sure it does. Oh, um, sure. Nobody's saying like, that, but come on But, now. like, the the figurehead, Juan Guaido, has been involved in, like, so much corruption. Yeah. And, like, his top people um, blowing all this aid money that they were given on, like, prostitutes and drugs um, mm. in Colombia. Uh, wow. <laughs> that was a big scandal that kind of got overlooked. But, yeah. you know, um, even the opposition in Venezuela is, like, you know, really against Guaido at this point because they've seen um, how poorly he's managed this um, opportunity that he was given by the United States to to rally support. Because, like, look, there is like a serious financial crisis in in Venezuela. It's really bad. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, that's the perfect opportunity for somebody like Guaido um, or or Venezuelan Obama, as I like to call him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, he, he, he failed miserably uh, yeah, in that, despite the support of, like, so many countries. Um, you know, he was constantly taking these trips around the world as the uh, president of Venezuela, if people remember. He was at Trump's State of the Union, and uh, Nancy Pelosi gave him a standing ovation. Um, so he had bipartisan support in the U.S., and, like, yeah. you know, I can't, I can't think of, like, a like, if you can actually get bipartisan support in the U.S. and you fail, like... There's got to be something wrong with you, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, the thing about Venezuela that that other countries, um, ha ha like Bolivia, didn't have is uh, that Venezuela has, like, millions of armed farmers. People, right. you know, they've given guns to, the government's given guns to, like, farmers and fishermen and all these people. And, you know, there's, like... There, recently, uh, in the past year or so, um, there was a guy who was trying to blow up a bunch of buildings, um, like a U.S. mercenary, and he was, like, caught by armed fishermen who, who like, tied him up and let the authorities take him. Um, so this has been, like, the number one uh, coup prevention method, and it's really been effective. And, uh, and I think that if other countries want to avoid that, they should really follow suit because right. – uh, there's so much subterfuge uh, that the United States is willing to engage in to do these kinds of things. Um, just, just like we, for the reason we talked about earlier, to have a, a, a friendly puppet government right. um, that will be uh, amenable to U.S. business interests. And in fact, um, I remember when I was covering the primary, the Democratic prim primary last year at the uh, California Democratic Party nominating convention. Um, 
as they were coming through the press spin room, they we, we were asking them about what the positions were on Guaido. And without equivocation, they all said that he was the interim president, like all of them, except for one guy. Yeah. Guess who the one guy who said Maduro was the elected president? One guy. Who do you think I don't know. T- tell me. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Yeah, right. <laughs> the only one that was brave enough to actually say that was Bernie Sanders. What, was Gabbard there? Yeah. No, wait. Was No, she wasn't there. Okay, yeah. So she might have also have said the same thing. I, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, right. But yeah, yeah but Kamala of course, Harris, like Kamala Warren Harris, Booker. Liz Warren. Liz Warren has been like a major proponent of the, of the sanctions regime on Venezuela, a, a, a regime which like you know seeks to starve the country into right. submission. Um, and and we we're seeing that like all over the world right now. And the Biden administration loves it because you know they can say, oh, we're anti-war. We're not going to engage in any military conflicts. Sanctions but they use are unconventional. A form of war. Right, they use it's it's unconventional warfare, but yeah. they don't have to talk about it, and the media is not going to hold them to account on right. that. So they get to save face while starving children. Um, <laughs> frankly, I mean, look at Syria right now; the war is like pretty much over. But um, you have uh, U.S. proxy forces, which I talk about in my article, occupying the Northeast, which is where the oil comes from, which is where the wheat comes from, and so the government has no access to its own oil and wheat. Uh, to to feed its country and to fuel its country and to to uh, buy uh, you know imports um, that sort of thing. So it's it's a protracted unconventional war that's yeah. going on right now, and people are starving to death. You know that's the same exactly thing in right. Yemen. Sanctions punish poor people. It's the poor people in these countries that are affected by them, not the government. And I, I'm really against sanctions for this reason. I don't. Th- you're never going to get somebody to come to your side this way you're gonna instead you're gonna starve the poor people in the country i mean how many years has cuba been under sanctions what did that achieve what did that achieve for the united states precisely anything i mean it's just crazy that they continue to use sanctions as a method of trying to garner power and it just really harms the the folks and, and, and it's the same thing in like north korea too yeah. like anywhere iran anywhere. north korea yemen syria venezuela um, you know, the people are really hungry. Um, yeah. The and, people are, and... are being punished for something that is beyond their control. They're not the ones making these decisions. And it's a really bad idea. I have no idea why that gains so much strength in uh, U.S. foreign po- policy. But sanctions need to go. I, yeah. And, you know, one thing I would I would just like to point out, since you, you were so involved with uh, coverage of the primary and, and so your audience is really invested in that subject is um, – you know, I did an article a while back about Elizabeth Warren's foreign policy team when she was when she was running, and one of the guys that I investigated, a man by the name of Richard Richard Nephew, he wrote a book called The Art of the Sanction. Um, you know, where he talks about putting pain into other countries, um, and now he's with the Biden administration. Wow! And he's he's bragging about uh, creating food shortages. I mean, like, this is, like, something that he, like, he openly, you know, expresses his pride over. Um, I mean, just, I can't think of a more ghoulish uh, position to take. And at the same time, he's congratulating uh, or or wishing Persians uh, a happy Nauruz, or I'm I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, But Woke imperialism. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, happy Nauruz. Uh, Enjoy your uh, sawdust for dinner. Yeah, enjoy not having any food. Right. We're still going to go for our power brokering because that's what we want. I just, it's so depraved. It's so depraved. 
And it's like that meme, um, I think you had it maybe in your article, where you've got, you know, the Democrats and the Republicans, and they both have the bombers, and they're both bombing these countries, except the Democrats have, like, a gay pride flag, a BLM flag, whatever else, right? But it's, yeah, they're doing the same exactly. actions. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, um, it's not, it, you know, it's, it, I, 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 I like that meme, but at the same time, it really simplifies the issue because, well, yeah. like, U.S. imperialism isn't just bombs, right? It's more um, than that. Yeah. It's 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 the sanctions. It's the uh, it's the uh, economic subversion that they uh, impose on 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 uh, the third world. Um, it's a lot more than that, and there's so many entities that are responsible for maintaining that. Like, um, I right. talk about how uh, the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank are used as weapons of unconventional warfare uh, and acknowledged as weapons of unconventional warfare. These supposedly independent bodies that are actually controlled by Washington are recognized as tools of U.S. imperial power by the U.S. military. Um, and WikiLeaks has actually uh, released documents that expose that. Um, I would encourage everyone to check those out. I talk about them in my article. Um, but, you know, right now the IMF and the World Bank um, are, uh, you know, focusing on womanomics and they're being led by, both of them are being led by women. And this is su supposed to mean that like everything's better now, yeah. um, but they're starving <laughs> women and they're starving children. As a woman, I have to say, it always blows my mind that people actually think that women are incapable of being just as bellicose as men are. It's ridiculous. <laughs> What do you think we're going to all throw daisies outside? That's it. We can't fight. We can't be pro-war. It's ridiculous. Um, there is, I wanted to ask you specifically about something else in your article, the leaked uh, phone recording. I'm not sure where you found that, uh, but uh, the Biden, I can't think of her name right now, discussing so Victoria many layers Nguyen. of things with the Ukrainians. Well, it's two, it's two U.S. officials speaking to each other over the phone. Um, one is Victoria Newland. Who... Thank you, Victoria Newland. For some reason, her uh, name escaped me, but she the, was on the, the recording short list also for Secretary can... of State. Yeah, yeah, she was. Um, fortunately, that didn't happen. Her her husband is actually uh, Robert Kagan, uh, who is. Um... I know who Kagan is. I did not know they were yeah. married. Holy shit! Yeah. yeah. So Kagan, I mean, like one of the one know, of the top explain. leaders of the yeah. neoconservative movement is yeah. married to this. Um, you know, humanitarian interventionists that uh, played a big role in the Ob Obama administration. Um, I, I mean, mean we're Kagan talking about is a one PNAC of the worst neoconservatives ever. Like, right, right. One of the authors of the project Project for a New American Century. Um, that's right. Iraq so, War, all uh, him. So yeah, I mean, like, really, what they're talking about in that recording, uh, it's kind of infamously called the the fuck the EU recording because she says she says that. Um, but uh, they're they're like just talking casually about like setting up Ukraine's new government, you know? Um, like it's it's like a super casual conversation where they're just like, oh yeah, well we like this guy, this guy not so much, um, so he can have a big spot and not him, you know? Um, and it's like you you really just like it's mind blowing. Um, it, it blew my mind when I when I first encountered it um, because it it's just like the total. Uh, puppet show you you get a you get a behind the scenes look at at, right. at the people who are pulling the strings right um and uh you know it's not just ukraine you know where they do that kind of thing right and, and she, so yeah she brings in the three c's uh the cia like she's very 
yeah. It's, it yeah. was wild. I, the first time I heard it, I was appalled. I had to I had to listen to it two or three times to really have it all sink in. It's pretty appalling. Yeah, and and uh, you know a lot of the people that are in that recording, Jake Sullivan herself. Um, that that's the thing is like you know, one thing I knew with the Biden administration is that like it wasn't going to be that hard to expose them because we already know their names. They were all the same people from the Obama administration. Um, and so you see that in the recording with Jake Sullivan and Biden and, um, and Victoria Newland, And, uh, you know, it's like the, the guy who was the state department spokesperson who I talk about in my, uh, I'm sorry. The, yeah. The guy who was the state department spokesperson under Obama, John Kirby, I talk about him in my article. He's now DOD spokesperson. Um, so it's, it's a lot of turnover. It's the same people. It's like the gang got back together, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean gang quite literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a revolving door. I mean, they come, they go, they come, they go. Yeah. yeah and they, then they make a lot of money outside of government selling access exactly. and then they come back in the yep. government and next time around they'll make even more money. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to go work for Raytheon now or Boeing or, you know, whatever military company. And then I end up back in government again. And then I go set up a PR lobbying firm where I'm making I'm wondering when John Brennan gets his turn, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no kidding. You know, the, the torture arc, uh, arc, he wasn't, I wouldn't even say he was the architect because uh, it's, it was under, and it was under Bush, but, um, you know, he was a major uh, proponent of major. torture. I talk about him in my article because, you know, recently on Fox News, I'm, I'm sorry, on MSNBC, he was saying that he was ashamed to be a white man, um, which was like hilarious <laughs> to me. And then, and then he, he complained about. Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. I somehow missed this. He actually oh, said yeah. that. No, he said he's ashamed to be a white man. Um, and he's he's they're having a conversation on MSNBC about the Capitol protests, and. Um, oh wait, that's says, the bridge too far. <laughs> After right. everything he's responsible for with the Iraq War, Guantanamo Bay, U.S. torture right. policy, that's the bridge too far. Well, that uh, yeah, and I, I I mean like so he he says that Republicans in Congress are gaslighting the country. He used that word gaslighting. So I mean, I mean well they might be. They're but... talking about gaslighting. They're talking about diversity <laughs> is our strength. You know, um, but uh, but it's like incredible to hear John Brennan talk about gaslighting. When from Congress, when he oversaw the agency as it was hacking and spying on Congress to, uh, you know, put a block on their investigation into torture by the agency. So now Congress is the one gaslighting instead of him. He was gaslighting Congress. Yeah. Um, and actually, Nancy Pelosi helped him cover up the torture. Uh, you know, the CIA had briefed her for years about torture oh, and yeah. she denied it the whole time. Um, so uh, and and yeah, actually, the the Wall Street Journal had an article recently about how the CIA is making efforts to uh, recruit from um, gender, disability, and racial diversity. And they quote John Brennan saying, "You know, the Biden administration is really doing a good job with this diversity thing." Um, so like this guy who tortured people is now like a woke mouthpiece on MSNBC. That's scary. For the fucking CIA, excuse my language. Like, no, <laughs> that is a warranted fucking, that is shocking to me. Brennan is bad guy. Like what the and hell is MSNBC? And he's ashamed to be a white man. <laughs> I, he belongs in prison, he belongs in the Hague. Are you kidding yeah. me? And MSNBC is gonna give him a platform, of course they are. Like, wow. <laughs> I mean, 
if he if he's so ashamed, he should go to Guantanamo Bay to yeah. be you know with his with the brown people who he uh, who he has and, tortured for years and indefinitely decades. detained yeah, I mean... without charge. And also, I mean, we can get into the whole conversation about the Fourth Amendment and the Patriot Act. I mean, there's so many bad things that happened under George W. Bush and his administration. Well, well Brennan was was an Obama official who 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 continued and 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 often oftentimes right. ramped up those policies. That's true. But yeah, Not, yeah. I, I mean, no this argument is... <laughs> from me on that. Like, I, which was really so disappointing because he had campaigned on doing the opposite and dismantling those things. And right. That was just really heartbreaking for me because I actually believed Obama was going to come in and close Guantanamo and, you know, get rid of the Patriot, like all of those things, not prosecute whistleblowers when in, in reality he prosecuted more whistleblowers than anybody before him, way more than George W. Yeah. And, and, you know, how come there's been no discussion of Guantanamo at all? I mean, no, yeah, that the whole just thing was that, matter. like, there were people that were waiting to be released by Obama. Obama was going to release them, right. and then he left office. And so it was in Trump's hands. And it was like, oh, well, we did what we could. It's in Trump's hands now. Well, now it's in Biden's hands. And I haven't heard a single peep no. about Guantanamo no. in, in the past months or, or since, uh, you know, November. Uh, exactly. When, when, and I, you know, it's, it's, it's very upsetting. This is, this is like, you know, the United States claims to be about, you know, habeas corpus, the Constitution, you know, all of these things. Rule of law. And then you see their actions, and it's just the hypocrisy is astonishing. Yeah, I mean, I mean just repeated violations of international law. Yeah. Um, you know, well, but, you know, I, 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 I hate to give the right this, but, you know, Obama did illegally spy on, on oh, Trump's he campaign. He bombed you know? a U.S. citizen with a drone. I mean... Right, right. None yeah. of this is okay. And this is really like when you brought up the ICC earlier with the Palestinians. The reason the United States never ratified the Rome statue was because they don't want to be brought to The Hague as well. And let's be honest, we deserve to be brought to The Hague for many of the things that we've been involved in. There's no two ways about that. Yeah, I mean, we're coming up on, on or we just had the anniversary of the Iraq War, which is still going on. Which is still um, going on. You know, I, one thing I talk about in my article is Afghanistan a little bit because, um, you know, uh, Trump negotiated a, a full withdrawal of U.S. troops. Um, and the Biden people are going back on that. They've basically yeah. said from the beginning that they weren't going to do it. Um, and you had General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, go into the White House and reportedly make a, a quote unquote um, emotional plea. Uh, in defense of the woman of Afghanistan, um, saying that if the U.S. left, uh, women's rights would go back to the Stone Age. But, you know, if the United States, uh, I mean, can you imagine the United States like saying, oh, no, Afghanistan can't go back to the Stone Age after dropping, you know, tens of thousands of yeah, bombs it's the, it's on it in the past sheer years. hypocrisy. Are the Taliban good guys? No, they're not. Nobody's making that claim. But does a perpetual regime change war? Fought not in their right. interest like they claim that is, but for other reasons, makes sense either. No, sometimes there's no good actors in these scenarios. Right, and people forget too that like the Taliban was in our good graces for a very long oh, time. Oh yeah, because had... they were against Russia. We're back at that again, aren't we? Right, and you had Bill, <laughs> you had Bill Clinton, <laughs> flying them over for White House meetings with right. oil companies. Um, you know, you know after after uh the the soviet loss in afghanistan right. um and and so yeah i mean it's 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 about the oil interests and uh you know i wouldn't be surprised if trump actually got that oil 
deal with yeah. them that Bill Clinton was seeking all those years ago. Yeah. Um, and that was like, okay. But, you know, it's funny because the guy who was flying them over for, for the um, for the Clinton administration, flying them to the White House, uh, this guy by the name of Zalmay Khalilazad, he actually participated in Operation Cyclone, which armed the Talib, uh, the, the Mujahideen to the tune of $20 billion. Yeah. Um, this, this same guy uh, is the one who negotiated the deal for Trump. And then Biden kept him on. He kept him on. That's right. So he kept he so he negotiated the deal. Biden says we're not going to do this deal, but we're going to keep the guy who negotiated it. It's like <laughs> what is going? I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, look at how much little change there has been at DHS and ICE. I mean, I find that to right. be kind of like confounding. Yeah, I mean, and and all that talk about kids in cages and right. they have more than ever. You know, um, it's you know, insane. It's, Nothing changes. I, I swear, nothing changes. It's frustrating. Yeah. So, Alex, what are you working on now? Anything exciting and new? Yeah, I mean, and it actually kind of touches on what we were just talking about, um, where, you know, the U.S. was supporting, uh, you know, jihadists and extremists, or, uh, you know, as they're called in the Muslim world, takfiris, uh, people who, who tell other Muslims that they're not true, Muslims and um, are violent towards minorities and people who think differently, ultra conservative, um, anti-LGBT. Um, so it's about the U.S. support for for those people um, and and the war in Yemen right now um, and uh, all that. So I would really hope that people keep an eye out for that because there's some explosive new information that's not really out there yet that I found. Um, so I think it's really going to change the conversation a little bit and hopefully. Uh, kind of draw back the war on terror. But, you know, one thing that I, I just want to add real quick is that, like, the war on terror became great power competition. And, you know, just because we're still in Iraq and Afghanistan um, or, or, or participating in the Yemeni war, um, it's, it's not in the name of war on terror now. It's, it's in the name of great power competition. And uh, right. we're going to see... We're going to see that play out more in the Biden administration, and, and I just really hope that people can um, can look at it through that lens rather than rather than like the war on terror lens, which is kind of um, uh, antique at this point. Yeah, that's interesting that you're bringing that up. It's true. We don't hear war on terror like we used to all the time. Yeah, but I mean, it's no longer the operating ideology yeah. either. It's 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 really about uh, countering Russia and China. And we're going to see, like, I mean, now, I mean, if you look at, like, what we're saying, after all these years of, like, torturing and uh, imprisoning and raiding uh, Muslims, um, now we really care about them in China, you know? Um, sure. You know? Yeah, it just um, doesn't make sense. We only be, care about, it's about our business power interests, really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so people Alex. can find my, my stuff on Substack. I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> Yeah. I, well, what? you were kind of getting there and so I got sidetracked. Um, so um, my Substack is real Alex Ruby. That's R-U-B-I dot Substack dot com. Uh, it's the same as my Twitter handle, real Alex Ruby. Um, I really hope people keep an eye out. Hopefully in the next day or two, I'll have this piece out. It's 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 a doozy. Uh, it's been yeah, kind of breaking my brain. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It sounds amazing. Uh, also, do you still have some of those old media uh, video files up on your Twitter? I know that's how we first... Um, became connected was when you were in charlottesville filming the uh white nationalists kill people more or less yeah unfortunately i no longer have access to the raw videos but everything is still up on my twitter so if you like search charlottesville or 
uh, Standing Rock even or Black oh, that's Lives right. Matter. You were Standing you'll Rock see, too. Yeah, you'll you'll see all my old stuff, all my old videos. Same thing with the Venezuelan embassy and stuff I did in Honduras okay. and all that. So it's it's still it's still out there until I get banned, it's and it's gone forever. <laughs> They can't ban you. You're re- you're the real Alex Ruby. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks for coming all and talking with me, Alex. It was a great piece, and I look forward actually to hearing uh, about this next one you're working on. It sounds pretty explosive. Yeah. Thanks so much, Tina. I really appreciate the opportunity.